I know people are still going to listen to this and, and be skeptical. Of course I, they are. But yeah. one thing that I would say, and I'm not a homer on this whatsoever. I've seen both sides of it. But the reason why I want to talk to you about it, you were there. You knew this situation before it happened. I knew Mitch. I knew Mitch was a recluse. He was a little shady. He did some shady things in his life. And yeah. I did. I, we can't even talk about that. I didn't even think that was... So what he did, I didn't think that was beyond something he would do. Yeah. I, I always knew Nick or that Mitch wanted recognition. You don't get in this industry if you don't have some sort of an ego, and he wanted to be the best of the best, and he was willing to do whatever it took to do that. And we have seen that happen many, many, oh, many times over with other people. Many, many times. Many. I've scored so many deer that ended up coming out of enclosures or whatever that people tried to put them in the record books. And yeah. So that's my last uh, point on this topic. Have, have deer enclosures and QDM mm-hmm. ruined a trophy hunt? In my opinion, it's ruined the skill set of a hunter to kill a trophy buck. Yeah, back, I'd say it depends on the state you're from. Wisconsin's been practicing QDM for a lot more years than, let's say, Michigan has, and so has Ohio um, and you know Illinois in those states. Uh, and QDM just puts a lot more big bucks on the property. And obviously these bucks grow to maturity without getting shot at because there's kill criteria or age criteria, antler age criteria to kill the deer. So obviously they're passing by hunters as they're growing to that maturity age without any negative consequences. So obviously they're much, much easier to kill. There's quite a few of them on the actual managed property because they're not shooting any of the bucks. So once they do reach that kill status, they're very easy to kill. I mean, you watch these TV shows, and these guys basically have cameras out over food plots, and they got box blinds, and when they get the buck coming regularly into the food plot or coming into the corn they put in the grass that you can't see, you know, they go out and they're blind, and they film it, and they shoot it. And That's not deer and deer hunting, by the way. That, no, I, I I'm kill, not saying I that. killed a spike on TV this year, just so everybody knows, and you're going to see that. I think spikes are pretty cool, actually. <laughs> he had a broken leg, so I had an excuse, but, but go ahead. Yeah. I, 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 that's kind of weird, because Jay's Sporting Goods, I have like 68 deer heads on the wall, and I actually mounted my first buck, which was a spike, spike. and put it up next to it, up in the mix of all these other big bucks. And... Uh, Three guys from the archery department were over there while I was putting it up, and they said, what the hell do you mount that little damn thing for? I said, I was more proud when I shot that yeah, damn deer in the 60s than any buck on this wall. You know, and I've got 180 inch on the wall. Ted Nugent mounted his first one as a button buck. Yeah. That was his first deer. <laughs> yeah. And he mounted, he still got the mount. Hunting was just different back then. You know, before this management thing, you had to know... You had to know how to hunt to consistently kill, you know, 100, 120-inch deer if you're in a pressured state. Um, And now, with all this micromanagement stuff, you don't have to. I know guys that have just started hunting, but they're hunting on family farms with food plots and minerals. And, you know, they're killing 130, 40-inch bucks every year. And with that skill set 20 years ago, that never would have happened without management. 
And so. now they're passing those deer up, too. Yes, there's, well, yeah, obviously, the TV guys, hell, they'll, they'll pass up 170 Which inches. Which just sometimes. drives me insane, because yeah. I'm like, you put a 140-inch buck in front of me, it's dead. I mean, it's yeah. it's not getting off that property. If, I, <laughs> if I'm allowed to shoot it, <laughs> is the do. other question. <laughs> that's a call buck in some places. <laughs> oh, it absolutely is, and that's why I get to kill them. Yeah. So we're talking about that, but now um, what about the whole proliferation in a lot of states with high fences? Because it almost turns you jaded as, was that really? Like guys are passing them off as wild kills? or Oh, that happens all the time. I've, I've scored two deer that ended up coming out of enclosures that got thrown out of the book. Um, there was a magazine. Michigan has a magazine called Woods and Water. And on the cover of it, this guy, and he was a scorer for CBM. This was so just, recently? This was recently. So just because you're a scorer doesn't mean you don't have a shady background. Hence the Mitch thing. <laughs> so, so anyway, this guy shot this monster buck. He said it was uh, shot with a mu- or a crossbow. So this would have been a state record crossbow. Was on the cover of Woods and Water magazine, and come to find out, the guy that actually owns the enclosure that he shot this in, you know, enclosures get a pretty bad rap as it is. So he actually called the president John Neville of CBM, who is a f- good friend of mine. I know him very well and said, hey, that buck that's on the cover of Woods and Water that you guys have is the state record, he shot that in my enclosure with a muzzleloader, and he had pictures of it. So John Neville had the task of going to this guy's house and telling him he had to take the buck out of the record book, plus the other two bucks he had in the record book he had to take out. And, I mean, how embarrassing is that? That happened with Noel Feather did the same thing. That's happened with a lot. There was a guy, I remember the shot, what would have been a world record elk out in Yellowstone, Remember that? Yep. That was in yep. the 80s, maybe. Yep. That, that kind of stuff happens all the time. There's there's a lot of bucks in the record book that were shot in enclosures. So that's like the Billy Joel song, We Didn't Start the Fire. It's yeah. Always turned. And I agree with that. Um, one thing that bothers me with it is um, <coughs> that has turned deer hunting a lot into the whole pro. I mean, no offense to anybody because I know a lot of my friends are, are, are love, love fishing, but the pro bass fishing thing, and you've yep. seen the video from this year where those two guys are busted. Yep. Where they put the put the weights, weights in down. the bellies. Yep. That's a, one thing Charlie Olshammer, rest his soul, he always told me. He said, when people found out there was value to whitetail, everything changed. Absolutely. Yep. And it's true. Yep. It's true, and I don't think there's any stopping it, but I think as individuals, we just have to be more cognizant okay. and vocal yep. to call him out yeah like i give that guy credit that guy who owned the place called him absolutely. out absolutely that's rare yeah most enclosure guys they just want the money right so if somebody's going to come and pay them 17 yeah grand to shoot a boone and crockett buck in an enclosure hell hell they're not going to say anything that they just pocketed 17 grand yeah so for a guy to go to another state and shoot a big buck in an enclosure and bring it back to his state and enter it as a state record who's going to know Typically, that's what it is. They take it from a different state and bring it back to yeah, their which state. But this would one really get you in big trouble from our own state because yeah. you can get into lazy exporting yeah. tr- trouble, even if it's that if yeah. you're trying to parlay it. So, but what's the odds of getting stopped if you're transporting a deer? I mean, it's very, sl- very someone's sl- going to have to call blow the whistle on you. Absolutely. Yeah. So, what about? And I know you're very um, vocal about out-of-state hunting. What are your views on that? Like out-of-state trophy hunting has it affected states as far as squeezing the local guys out uh yes it definitely has i was doing 
I was doing seminars at the Wisconsin Deer Expo in Madison probably 10 years ago. And I had this dude come by my booth, and he was probably in his 60s. And we talked, and I said, where are you from? And he said, I'm from Iowa. And I'm like, if you're from Iowa, why are you at the Wisconsin Deer Expo? And he said, I live in Zone 5 in Iowa, which is like the premier zone for our non-residents to go to. And he said, I used to know all the farmers around me. I used to be able to hunt any place. He said, everything is leased now or bought by rich people, and I have no place to hunt. I have to come to Wisconsin to go on, on public land. And, uh, yeah, everything, all the good stuff's getting leased up. And, you know, as a Michigan guy, I love going out of state. I love going out of state and hunting, like, walk-on properties or public lands in Iowa and Kansas, uh, Missouri, uh, Illinois. I've done really well in Illinois in the late season, in Ohio. Um, I just love it because there's just more opportunities. There's just, even though it's public land, it's different. It's just got a lot more mature bucks because there's a lot less hunting pressure in those states. Not necessarily Ohio. Ohio has a lot of hunters. But the Illinois, the Iowa's, Kansas, Nebraska's, Missouri's, um, you just have a lot more opportunities. I can go, th- I went three years in a row in Michigan without seeing a Pope and Young buck. Not even visually seeing one or having one on camera. And I can go out of state. When I go to Kansas or Iowa, I'll see a minimum of five Pope and Young bucks in a week. Minimum. One year I saw 18 different Pope and Young bucks. So it's just different. I think anybody that lives up in the northeast or in the southeast you know where there's just lots of uh population and lots of hunting pressure man if you ever get the chance to go out west do it but as far as you know there's lots of the private lands where you used to knock on doors and get permission as a non-resident that doesn't exist hardly at all anymore everything's leased up and or bought up by deer owners deer talk now is brought to you by mossberg Mossberg has been supplying American hunters with quality firearms for over 100 years. Over the years, they've upheld their commitment to innovation by creating a handful of firearms that have shaped the way we hunt today. For more information, visit Mossberg.com. So you bring up a really good point there, one that I'm very vocal on, I'm going to let you talk about it, is um, I hear this all the time, all the time from our listeners and readers. Um... You know, Michigan would be just like that if we did blank. Mm-hmm. You know, we would be just like Iowa. We'd grow just as big a box as Iowa. Would they? No, they wouldn't. The soils are different. The soils are different. First of all, when you get in northern lower Michigan, it's all sandy soil. So they're very little minerals. And I always kind of correlate antler growth and body size of deer with crop yields. You know, you get out, you get down into Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Iowa, eastern Kansas, and there's the soil's black. It's got a lot of minerals in it, and they will get usually twice the crop yields per acre than they'll get in Michigan, at least in northern Michigan, where it's sandy. So it's that same minerals that grow deer and grow antlers. You know, I think it's the exact same stuff. And uh, so... I've shot five-year-old bucks in northern Michigan that had 105-inch racks, you know, 220-pound dressed. And it takes at least a three-year-old up in northern Michigan 
Michigan to grow a 100-inch rat. You, you bring if up, you're on regular property. Obviously, there's managed properties right. up there now where there's root plots and minerals as well. Yeah. But you bring up a good point there. The point that I've always made, mm-hmm. I've never made that point because you're right about the soils. The point mm-hmm. I've always made is this is apples and oranges. Why is it apples and oranges? Because Michigan has 800,000 hunters, yeah. and you yeah, guys have 200,000 hunters. Yeah. That's why. Well, that's that's definitely part of it, but still, that doesn't ex- that doesn't explain why a buck growing in, exactly. in Michigan, northern Michigan, can be a four-year-old and Say, only have a five-inch yes. rack. So that's soil issue. But obviously, hunting pressure has a lot to do. with Hunting Michigan, pressure has a lot to do with it. Michigan's also a two-buck state. Most of those other states are. Uh, one you don't buck want to states. get me going on that because I uh, we should be yeah. more like Kansas, one-buck state. I'm like no, no, yeah, no. I mean. Number one, we've overshot our doe herd. Yeah. To the point where it's just shoot a doe. I'm not, I am not BSing you, John. From September 15th mm-hmm. to Thanksgiving, I have six trail cameras on my property. I had one photo of an adult doe. Wow. One. Whoa. One. And I pro- and you know me, I love killing does. I promised I would not kill a doe. Yeah. Well, just kill a doe. Just kill a doe if you want meat. No, I want meat. And then people are screaming, you should only have one buck. Well, who needs who needs more than one buck? Who needs more than one car? You know? <laughs> I like eating venison, you know? Well, shoot a doe. We'll go somewhere else. No, I want to shoot it on my property. Yeah. Like a buck. So I I feel sorry for the people who have one buck limits. Yeah. Um, but, like, where we're from, if you have 800,000 hunters, if you knock that down to one buck, I'm all about there's strength in numbers, and yeah. I want more hunters. And people don't agree with that. Yeah, I don't agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> so so I'm going to come right out and say that. I, I wish Michigan was a one buck, but you have to put it in perspective. Edit that out. Edit that out. Do not let him say that. <laughs> you have to put it in perspective. In areas where you have a lot of deer, Michigan has a lot of deer. If somebody wants to go out of state and kill a deer, it's no better. I mean, you can't get any better than Michigan. We've got tons of deer. So... We can kill multiple does, and we still can the too. I can kill. Is still I can kill there. twelve of them if I want. Yeah, but I, I guess my point is people don't typically do that. Where, at least in the area I'm at, I from year to year, even though people are shooting, you know, in a section, they may be shooting twenty does. The next year, all those fawns grow up into does, and then the does have more fawns. <laughs> we're editing that out, so no one's going to hear John. John's well, it, de- it depends. It totally depends. If you're in a section where you've got 30 property owners, and they all own fives, tens, and twenties, and ever all of them That's start us. shooting does. That's us. Yeah, in those types of sections, and you know, what about in club you, country? You can't you can't put a, a blanket thing over an entire state. You have to do it area to area, in my opinion. 100%. Yeah. 100%. What about club country? I used to hunt club country in the 60s. That's a, that's a long, long time ago. Uh, we used to go up because up in uh, northeast Michigan, uh, south of Alpena, we used to go up in December. And we would go up there when it started to get heavy snows because the deer would start going to their deer yards. And then we'd go hunt the cedar swamps. Explain club country to the people who don't know what I'm club talking about. Club country is just large tracts of private property that are managed for the most part. And it's, you know, you got members in the club and they get to hunt it. 
And back then, most of those club guys were strictly gun hunters. There wasn't many bow hunters. And tons of baiting. Oh, <laughs> semi loads of carrots. Back then, it was primarily carrots. <laughs> You'd be driving down the road and see a big, huge pile after gun season of carrots and deer standing on top of them like king of the mountain. <laughs> it was unreal. And they still do it, and isn't yeah. baiting illegal? Baiting is illegal, and they, they still do They're it. Still yeah. They're still doing it. Nobody turns them in. But okay. now they're using corn <laughs> instead of carrots. And you were talking about um, land. Like, I remember when I was a kid, my dad said, like, where we grew up, they said, well, now this is when he grew up. Like, mm-hmm. he grew up on the cusp of the Depression. But he said back then if they could get 80 bushels of an acre for yeah. corn. Right. I'm talking those guys in Iowa, they're, they're like, way over 200. Oh, oh absolutely. I mean, like, yeah. maybe 300 bushels yep. an acre. Yep. And that's totally a soil thing. I mean, a soil thing. Totally. And that same stuff that grows crops grow body size and animals. Right. No doubt about it. That's why they're so big. Obviously, there's less hunting pressure out there as well. You know, Kansas has less than 30,000 bow hunters, and that's including non-residents. We have 340,000 There's hunters. my example. <laughs> there's, why can't we be yeah. more like Kansas? Because Kansas has 30,000 bow hunters. You have 300,000 yes. bow hunters. Yeah. And then we also have 600,000. We used to have a, like a million, million gun hunters. Now it's down to about 600, 650,000. Same thing 000. with Pennsylvania. Yeah. Uh, Pennsylvania was a million. It's pretty. I think it's still pretty close. Yeah. But um, it's apples and oranges. And then you've got states like the ones we talk about, Iowa yeah. and Kansas. And Missouri's got a few, but not, it's not It's not. A, it's not a very, okay. Yeah. Uh, the, the final topic I wanted to talk about. Can I interject one thing? Uh, absolutely. A lot, of the, a lot of the gun hunters in Michigan have converted to crossbows because oh, crossbows yes. are very similar to shooting a gun. It's a short-range gun. So a lot of the gun hunters have converted to crossbows so that they can hunt during nice weather while deer are doing their social activities not running trying to find a place to hide during gun season okay let's we're, we're going we're we're going off uh, topic here because that's the topic tell me about crossbows you're, you're going to tell me your opinion on crossbows and what they've done to deer hunting i think if you're really old and you can't draw off at least 40 pound vertical bow you should be able to get a crossbow um or if you're handicapped in some manner, you should be able to hunt with a crossbow, but uh, I'll never change my mind on this, and I get beat up on it all the time. Crossbows, to me, should not be legal for just healthy people during the vertical bow season. You don't have to practice with a crossbow. They're one size fits all. Uh, you, you pull a trigger just like a gun. It's got scopes on them. I mean, and you can easily, with these crossbows nowadays, you can easily shoot a deer at 80 yards if there's no wind and you got to rest. You know, like if you're hunting out of a ladder stand with a, a rail on it. Okay, I'm going to preface my reply by saying John's a good friend of mine, and that's not going to change. <laughs> oh, you can, you can. But I wholeheartedly disagree with him. <laughs> Crossbows, I've seen it with my very own eyes. Now, my dad, he wasn't disabled. Uh, in 1999, he had his entire rectum removed. He's got that bag. He's had it on it. He's shot it yep. here this year. He's going to be 88 oh, years old. Wow. That got him into crossbow hunting. Everybody said, well, that's a good example. But I've also seen crossbows, and I'm not using this as the prime example, but crossbows have brought kids into hunting, have, have brought um, adult onset hunters into hunting, women and and, and men. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you're going to disagree with me on this. but I can't argue that. Crossbows, to me... Are bow hunting. I'm shooting an arrow. You can call it a bolt all you want. It's an arrow. It's got fletchings. It's got a broadhead. It kills via hemorrhaging. Mm-hmm. 
and I have to be solvent. Now, you say you can shoot 80 yards. I took up crossbow hunting. I do it all. I still shoot my bow. I shoot a crossbow. I, I muzzle everything. I took up a crossbow probably, I don't know, it's been less than 10 years, 8 years ago. I still shoot with both. The longest crossbow shot I've ever attempted was 54 yards. That's you, though, Dan. You're That's a deer me. hunter. You've hunted all your life. You know the limitations of what the limitations 100%. should be. And I even tell my friends, who are our sponsors mm -hmm. and are in this industry, you can advertise at 100 yards all you want. I yeah. defy somebody. Well, I killed one at 100. So good for you, but I'll, make, I'll have you take that shot 100 times. You're going to wound that deer 99 times because you're shooting no. an arrow out there. I do agree with you. It's no. very fast, but... Um, I'll, I'm going to finish mine. I'll let you retort. Um, I'm being quiet. <laughs> no, I, I won't let you retort because I, I don't want it to be, be me shouting over top okay. of you. But It's our society. Our society is want it now. Whether people like that or not. And the other thing is, to me, it's not a sport. This isn't a sport. This isn't about me showing my manlyhood that I can pull a bow back and shoot a deer or, or wait, be patient to come in. I want to kill a deer. I have my land, mm -hmm. and I want to I want to go hunting in September and kill a deer. Why shouldn't I be able to do that? Oh, we should have your own season. No, you shouldn't. What I always said, and I, all, you know, Ted and I are good friends. Yes. Here are my tags. Yeah. Here are the season day, dates. Have a nice day. Yeah. You could you could shoot one buck. Go out right now and kill it. I don't care. Well, why should he be able to shoot it? Why should you be able to shoot it? Because you're more of a man because you can shoot a, a regular bow? Well, why can't you shoot it during gun season? Why can't you wait till gun season? Bow hunting requires a work ethic. You have to practice. It's not something you can put in the corner. You pick it up on the last day of September. You go out and you shoot two bolts and they're dead nuts at 50 yards. And you can go hunting the next day. Bow hunting, vertical bows require a lot. They have to fit. You have to have the right arrows. You have to have the right rest. You have to have the right sights. You have to have the right everything. you got to have the right draw weight. You know, it's something that has to fit you, and it requires a work ethic. I think archery is totally different than crossbow. Now, I totally agree with what you said as far as bringing new people into it, kids. I mean, an 8-year-old kid can kill a deer with a crossbow. Absolutely, I've seen it. Yeah. The, the only downside to me is once a kid starts killing a deer with, and he's crossbow hunting, try and get him to convert to a vertical bow as he gets older, where now his distance is cut in half, and he has to actually work harder at it. Because uh, kids nowadays don't like working hard at anything. They'd rather sit on their computers. Very true. So, so from that aspect, crossbows are perfect for, for young people. You know, I know a few people that have had their kids start out with crossbows and converted them. They mandatorily made them, when they were 14, 15, shoot a vertical bow. But they let them hunt with the crossbow until then. But most of the time, that's not the case. And also as a, a sales, I, I don't know if I should put it in this perspective, Back when full inclusion was going through in Michigan, I can't remember the year. It was probably 13, 14 years ago. Um, I wrote a huge article, and I almost got fired for writing that article because I, I said some of the regional mass stores are selling crossbows, but they were not selling vertical bows before the full inclusion crossbow. So crossbows are like a baseball cap. They're a one size fits all. I can, 
I can shoot a crossbow, I can give it to that little girl over there, and she can shoot a crossbow, I can give it to a 90-year-old man, he can shoot that crossbow. So there's no fit, there's no pro shop interaction. Archery shops are there because there's technicians, they have to fit you for everything. Crossbow, you know, again, it's, it's like a baseball cap, it's one size fits all. And it, I've seen videos, uh, I was in one of my, one of my accounts and a buyer, he showed me a video, he was proud of it, and I, he should have been. 83 yards. He was sitting in a two-person ladder stand with his 13-year-old daughter, and she and I had a nine-point come out into this hay field. There was no wind. He had up to 100-yard pins on this Raven crossbow, and he showed me the video. It had a lit knock on it, and that, that arrow, when it was going up in the air, it was so high up in the air before it got to that deer. I was like, oh, he's, he's going to shoot way over the top, and then it just dropped right into his vitals. Got it. And, but I've seen guys do that with their bows. Uh, I mean, on these There an, are guys an, that are capable of shooting that. Shooting 100-yard yes. animal, yeah. things like that. I, I, There's I, always going to be anomalies of people that are really efficient at, you know, vertical bows. I'm about inclusion, you know that. Um, my whole thing is most growing up, most bow hunters who are really diehard bow hunters, mm-hmm. and they can they can light me up over this. The guys from the state bow hunting association were assholes. They were holier than thou assholes. I'm I'm more of a man than you can. I can do it that way. And my whole thing, my mind changed. Uh, like I said, when my dad started going, yeah. and my dad says, I never got to go hunting in September. I always had to wait till November till it's just effing cold outside. You know, you only lasted for an hour. And so that changed my mind. And then the other thing that changed my mind was for the private land guys. Mm-hmm. Guy buys, works his whole life, busts his ass, working at the foundry, buys his 40 acres of property. Mm-hmm. I got You know? I got to agree with that part. You know? I, and he's got his man. It's like, well, me. you can't go hunt. If you want to go hunting, you, you got to wait till November. No. I'm paying $4,000 a year in taxes on this land. I want to go kill a deer in September. Well, take up a regular ball. I don't want to. It's, in, it's I, interesting I you say that because I was at a DNR meeting, and this was when they were trying to convert Michigan into a, a APR state, and uh, at least certain Same zones. Yep. Certain zones. And I went to the meeting, and I was all for not doing APRs. I was very anti-APR. APRs antler point restrictions, by the way. Yeah, and uh, so I, this one old guy he stood up and said well i got 40 acres and if i i pay the taxes on if i want to shoot a spike horn i ought to be able to shoot a spike horn and i chimed in and i said i 100 percent agree with that gentleman right there if he, he should be able to shoot whatever he wants and he, we're talking gun season yeah. uh he was a, only a gun hunter but you know what no matter what you do you're going to piss some people off yeah, that's absolutely. all there is to it so i just have my opinion i'm just a strong opinion that vertical bows archery season was something for people that worked at it i i can remember bob eastman and myself wanted to when they were working on the full inclusion we wanted to do 55 years and older across the counter for crossbow and then obviously if you're disabled you get a doctor's that's how it started in a lot of states yeah but they i think the michigan bow hunters association they were so adamant about not changing anything that it pissed the nrc off and they just said screw it and did full inclusion and that's what i see here like okay so we had fun with this but what i see with this whole discussion where where this is kind of it's not i don't think it has a lot of momentum but in in areas where it would if somebody said well they should have their own seasons like okay i don't want to carve this up anymore yeah 
I agree with that. You know, too. oh, yeah. okay. So regular, if you shoot a compound yeah. bow, you can go from September first to October first. Then the crossbow guys get three weeks, and then the gun. No. no. Oh, it is what it is. It's yeah. not going to change. It's anymore. not going to change. <laughs> I agree with that. Okay, last topic. Last topic is scent control. We get a lot of comments on this, especially your articles and some of the videos you've done for us. But um, tell me, um, this is a loaded question. Is scent control overrated? No. And all this stuff that's out there, does it really work? There's, in my opinion, there's nothing out there other than scent lock clothing, activated carbon. Well, John's paid to say that. No, I'm not. I don't make a dime from Sunlock, and I never, ever have. They've never paid me a cent. And everybody will say that. Well, you know, so why is activated carbon so much better than everything else? Because activated carbon, if you if you took a one-pound butter cup, everybody knows what a one-pound butter cup is, it's the butter, and you fill that with activated coconut carbon, and then you took and busted those every particle and laid all of the surface areas of all the interior pores on a flat surface and cover 100 acres. It has the absorptive capacity more than anything else known to man at this time. So activated carbon is the only thing that is, in my opinion, that can do anything scent control as far as deer hunting where you don't have to pay attention to the wind. I paid attention to the wind. I hunted the wind for 35 years, 100%. I quit hit. I quit hunting saddles. I quit hunting sides of ridges. I quit hunting openings in timber because, especially if the foliage was on, because when the wind hits those trees, it would start to swirl like a whirlpool in a river. You'd get swirling winds. Same thing happens in a saddles with thermals and, and also swirling winds and on the sides of ridges. So for 35 years, I 100% paid attention to the wind, and there was places where I wouldn't get to hunt some of my best stands because I didn't have the days off when the wind was right to hunt my best rut phase stands. So when Scentlock came out, it came out in 92. I actually didn't get it until like 96 or seven. And the instructions that they gave on how to properly care for it, how to properly store it and how to properly use it were not, in my opinion, were not that good. And so I researched activated carbon big time. I already knew about activated carbon. It's used in military, you know, chemical warfare suits. It's used by NASA in space suits. It's used in literally thousands of absorptant capacity applications. So I did a lot of research and I, I learned how to properly care for it, how to properly store it, and how to properly use it in conjunction with clean rubber boots and a scent lock backpack or a Washington scent-free detergent backpack to the point where I pay attention. I don't pay attention to wind direction whatsoever. I may pay attention to wind if I'm setting up a location like at a primary scrape area where I know the deer may come, a mature buck in a pressured area might come in and scent check it from downwind. I'll pay attention to that on how deer react to wind. But as far as worried about getting winded, I don't worry about it at all. And scent lock owns the patent on using carbon alloy so nobody else can use it right and they sued some blocker when some block did it and they won that lawsuit and in that actual lawsuit they sent a suit to Rutgers University which has a science lab and that's all they do there is work on yep. activated carbon and in the actual court ruling by a US District Court in the dismissal of the lawsuit because um, they got sued by four hunters from Minnesota 
saying it didn't work as, as they advertised. In the dismissal ruling, because this was thrown out of court, it said from the Rutgers University guy, using 10,000 times, 10,000 times more molecules than the human body could produce in a 24-hour time frame, Suntlock clothing absorbed or blocked 96 to 99.9% wow. of it all. Okay. Using 10,000 times more. You're saying that's the only thing that works in your opinion. In my opinion. Um, but you obviously have to be using Semper Soap. No. Oh, yeah, I use Semper Soap. You do? Yeah. And you, I don't have to. What, what I do, do you, but what I don't do you have take to. a shower before you go hunting? Uh, morning hunts, I don't. Evening hunts, I usually do. Morning hunts, I just get up and do go. Do you use anything on your boots? No. Nothing? Nothing. You don't spray them? Nothing. No. No, sodium bicarbonate is in most sprays, and sodium bicarbonate has a foreign odor to the woods. I don't use anything that has a foreign odor I, to where I I'm I use hunting. it, and I, th I, think, I, mean, I think it works. But um, yeah. what about uh, ozone? I definitely, I believe in ozone. Ozone definitely breaks down human odor molecules, destroys them. But ozone also leaves it, its own odor. If you put an ozone thing over your head, in my opinion, because I don't want to get sued. This is, John's <laughs> this is John's opinion, John's opinion only. If you put an ozone machine. They're not the opinions of Deer Talk now or its subsidiaries. Yes, there you go. So if you put an ozone machine over your head, uh, it's excreting, it's killing your body odor, but it's excreting its own ozone molecule odors, and that's foreign to the deer woods. So I know a, a real high-profile guy that had a TV show, okay? he was He's from Michigan. And he was sponsored by them. And he told me that when he was using ozone on his hunts out of state, on you, typically they're paid to hunt ranches in lieu of advertising the ranch for the TV show. Um, you know, it worked fine. But like you and I talked, have talked about before, deer out in those situations that don't get shot at till they're four years old, they accept some semblance of human odor and, and foreign odors. He said when he used, started using those machines on his property up in northern Michigan, because he lives in northern Michigan, he owns 80 acres, two-and-a-half-year-old bucks were winning that and spooking. He, he totally quit using it, and, and he's in a pressure I've used I've used it all. I've used, I, I still use, I use the sprays. I use the shampoos and all that stuff. Well, body, body. I don't have hair, so it's, a, <laughs> it's body wash for me. But I think I'm still a proponent that every little bit helps. Um, but I'm not like you in the fact that you're just disregarding wind. I'm a scent control Nazi. I know you are. <laughs> yeah, I pay zero, I've, zero we, we've attention. We produced the wind. videos of you with your your scent-free van. Yes. Um, <laughs> and when I looked at it, I was like, yeah, this dude wants it way more than I do. Well, and, the, you know, a lot of people think that when you go hunting, there's a big process to actually parking and getting dressed to go hunting and that is so farther from the truth that it could be the prep it's just like deer hunting you know most your deer hunting when you kill a deer you're reaping the rewards of all of your scouting and location preparation and all the work you put forth prior to that you know you're just taking advantage of the kill same thing when you're using scent lock scent lock the preparation is done at home where you're putting this stuff in the dryer you don't wash it you only put it in the dryer to deabsorb it you you can't reactivate activated carbon unless it's 1450 degrees under pressure so when you're putting it in the dryer you're just deabsorbing it you're just removing some of the molecules that have bonded to the activated carbon pores and they're going out the dryer bed so 
you know, once you once you learn how to do all that process and store it in airtight totes as soon as it comes out of the dryer, and then you know you put that stuff in your vehicle. I just happen to drive a minivan because I can step behind the seats and I got a little motel room back there with no seats. Um, all the preparation's done at home. Once you park, all you got to do is open your totes, put on your under face garments or your layer garments or whatever, just like you would on regular hunting with regular clothing, and then put on your sunblock, put on your sunblock gloves. So you wear gloves. the whole thing with the mask? And you everything. have to wear the head cover with the dropped out face mask. That's one thing. I'm glad you said that because even the Scentlock guys that are sponsored by Scentlock on TV, and there used to be a lot of them. I think there's only one now TV show sponsored by Scentlock. Um, those guys don't know how to use Scentlock. They wear a logo cap like the one you've got right, on right, right now. And if you got your hair, 40% of your odor comes out of your head. Well, your beard, your hair follicles, you know, when you take a shower in the morning, your hair is oily at night. Well, that oil by your head is just serious seriously where bacteria grows and multiplies so you've got so much odor coming out of your head you have to wear the head cover with the drop down face mask that covers your nose so you're breathing through that as well and then you have to wear the gloves you have to wear rubber boots and a lot of guys when I do seminars and I start talking about scent control I would ask everybody how many people have used sunlock this is really interesting by the way how many people in this room have used sunlock Usually about half of the hands go up because a lot of people have tried it over the years, but they just didn't use it correctly or care for it correctly. Okay, half of the hands would go up. Okay, how many of you guys got winded using sunlock? Probably three quarters of the hands that were had went up go back up again. And how many of you guys don't use sunlock anymore? The same three quarters of the guys, they're not using it anymore other than just as regular camo. So then I ask, okay, of you guys that have used scent lock in the past and got winded, how many of you washed your backpack in scent-free detergent? Nobody. Almost, I don't think I've ever had anybody raise their hand. So you get into your backpack every day with your bare hands, reloading it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a huge human scent wick, and it's up in the tree with you. And then when you get busted, what are you going to do? Well, the scent lock didn't work. Well, it didn't work, and they're eating a salami sandwich when they're sitting on a tree stand. Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> you got it. You've got – Sunlock is not – you know, if you just wear the jacket and the pants and the gloves and you don't wear a head cover, you know, you're still taking care of 60% of your body odor, but 40% of your body but odor I think this goes to is going to blow, blow you up. This goes to beyond the Sunlock uh, discussion. It's just about smart deer hunting. Yes. You know, it's, it's the devil is in the details. Yeah. On everything, like you said, scouting, um, tree stand, hanging a tree stand. You hung the tree stand because you're kind of lazy because you didn't want to get it around the edge of the tree where you would be more covered. Right. Well, you got busted. Well, this sucks or this this whatever. I blew it because blame of it this. on something the other. You're gonna than blame yourself. it on something else. <laughs> yeah. It's a great point. Yeah. Well, we're gonna talk more, but we're not gonna do it today. Okay. Thank you, John. This always. Um, the, the thing I like about us is we can have these conversations that can be heated, but we, we still respect each other at the yes, end definitely. of the conversation. He's John Eberhardt. I am Dan Schmidt. Thank you from on location in Indianapolis at the Archery Chain Show. This is Deer Talk Now. Deer Talk Now is brought to you by 10 Point Crossbow Technologies. Whether I'm in a tree stand, ground blind, or spot and stalk hunting, I know the Nitro 505 is up to any challenge. 
Check one out at a dealer near you or log on to 10pointcrossbows.com for more information.